Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to this episode of Mothering. I actually have no idea what number mothering this is. I'm sure we will by the time we put this out there. I think number seven. Anyway, I'm going to dive right in today and talk about my breastfeeding journey. I don't have as much time as I typically do on a Friday. And I made a couple of notes and there are so many topics I feel like I could talk about today. And I don't know what will come out or if there's even time for all of them. To start, I want to reiterate, this is my breastfeeding journey. It has had its ups and its downs, its twists and turns, and I think is as unique as any journey that any of us have. I'm not probably going to talk too much about supporting breastfeeding in the people I work with. I might hit on it here and there. But in other words, this is just part of my story and take from it what you will. So I have breastfed 10 children. Pretty crazy. I was reflecting on this this morning and I didn't make a lot of notes because I figured if I've breastfed 10 children, surely something will come out. Uh, I definitely have things to say. I don't know. I don't know what they are yet. I was thinking back to Amelia's birth and pregnancy and when she was here as a little tiny person 18 years ago. And I realized I don't even remember a whole lot of that, which I think is somewhat typical. It was a long time ago. And she was the first. And basically, I just had no idea what I was doing in any regard. Breastfeeding was, I think, pretty challenging because she was so tiny, she was early, and I didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have any friends. We um, had recently moved, and so I really didn't know other moms, but I knew I was going to breastfeed, and I knew that that was not really up for discussion, but I was also very unprepared. So that was definitely... um, very influential, even though I'm saying I don't remember a lot of the detail, and I don't, it certainly was very much a first time mom experience. So I'm having to like, recall it in my body. I remember sitting on the couch with her when we got home from the hospital, and just feeling kind of lost, like, how did this work? And what if she fell asleep on the breast, which she really typically did, right after birth. And in the days following, I have this memory of Jason going to get a breast pump from, I don't even know who, maybe our doula or I'm not sure because I really wasn't in that mode of, you know, planning 
or retrieving it. I was grateful he brought it. And now I'm even wondering why I had it. Like I'm wondering who gave me that advice. So anyway, this sounds very random. I realize Um, there's a lot of holes in my memory, but it was difficult. It was difficult breastfeeding for the first time and not having support and not knowing anything, like not even knowing how often does a baby need to nurse or, you know, what are signs that they're getting enough? What are signs that they aren't? I was nowhere near, of course, being in midwifery at this point. And um, yeah, I, I don't remember reading any books or really getting a whole lot of education prior to this experience. And my mom, so I think it's always important to consider the mom's, you know, not not the birthing mom, but like her mom, if possible, considering her own history in birth or in this case with breastfeeding. So I knew my mom had had, she had two natural births in the hospital and she did breastfeed me, but not for very long. So I think three months. And to this day, she's in her 70s. If you asked her, she would give the same canned response. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I think it's great to just let my mom have the experience that she had and not kind of, you know, question her or bring what what knowledge I have now to it. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. But anyway, the story as she tells it is just that she went to the doctor, like the OB, I guess, who, you know, by the way, probably <laughs> Uh, doesn't know a whole lot about breastfeeding and nursing babies, really. That would more be a pediatrician, if anyone in that world. And she says she went at about three months postpartum for whatever reason, and he told her she didn't have enough milk and she was losing too much weight. So it was largely about her, which is interesting. Um, and again, I don't really know like exactly how factual this is. My mom also... Um, definitely did or does, you know, have some body issues. So I'm in my mind imagining that that was part of it. Um, Just watching maybe how her body was changing or receiving feedback on her weight from a doctor probably meant a whole lot. So she quit nursing. And that was the end of me being breastfed. So of course, I don't remember that. But I think that's an interesting history because sometimes these things do get passed down. And in her case, not only was it the weight factor, allegedly, but this idea that she didn't have enough milk. So um, that was that. And I didn't think I couldn't breastfeed when Amelia was born. I really wasn't worried about it. I don't feel like I really had issues around it. It was just new. It was just new. And I didn't have a lot of support. And the short version is she nursed for about a year, which isn't very long, really. And then I conceived Egan, who's our second. So I remember Amelia being one-ish. And really, she had dwindled in the nursing. It, it never felt like something she was voracious about. Uh, having had other children now, I know that that's a difference in personality. But also, it was probably me. Like, I wasn't fully engaged. I didn't really know what I was doing. And once she started to eat food, um, I kind of remember thinking maybe it wasn't that necessary. 
that she breastfeed anymore. So I wasn't totally committed, but it wasn't fully conscious either. And by a year, she was weaned just sort of naturally, was no effort applied there. And that was that. I'm not going to go through all of the histories, though, with all of my children. I think that would be a little boring. I'm going to try to hit some major themes here. Okay. So I will tell a little bit more history just to kind of like get us to present moment and some of the other issues. Um, Egan was born. He was a home birth, as many of you know. He was term. Amelia wasn't. He was a substantially bigger baby. Amelia was tiny. He was a boy. And I do think that has mattered uh, with my experience. And he was a voracious nurser. So that meant in that context, he nursed, I said, every 15 minutes till he was two. And I'm sure there were exceptions, but it was a very new experience. And I was equally as unprepared for that. I had only hired a midwife at the last moment. I still didn't really know anything other than, of course, I was going to breastfeed my baby. And I just kind of was in it. Um, He was a higher needs baby than Amelia. And so all of it felt kind of new. I had this boy. um, He kind of never stopped sucking on me. And it was exhausting. And, you know, I look back and was there anything to have done? I don't know, maybe it was before the era of this crazy uh, tongue tie thing, which I may go into Um, all of my kids for the record that I've known to check. And of course, the first two were excluded from this because I didn't know anything. And it also wasn't really a thing back 15, 20 years ago. Um, All of my kids since that I've known to check, they're all they all have tongue ties. They all have lip ties. Um, Ultimately, I don't think it's an issue and it hasn't been for us, but I don't know with Egan just because I didn't know anything, but nursing him was challenging, but different. And I really look back and I want to give myself a pat on the back, honestly, um, because I stuck with it and I just kept going and it was never an option to not. And he was so into it. He nursed until he was four. So he didn't nurse every 15 minutes until he was four. I think that goes without saying. It was really just that first year. And he was the first one that I had to navigate issues with. I mean, real issues. I got mastitis for the first time when he was a couple days old. That was horrible. And I'll talk more about that. Um, I you know, had to figure out how not to nurse all night at a certain point in his life. And I had to figure out what night weaning was and maybe why I wanted to do it. And those were all really, really valuable lessons. So I actually have really great memories of nursing him. It's funny to think about because he's 16 and a half now. Uh, But it was an amazing connection. And, you know, sad to say, I didn't really have that same with Amelia when she was little. So he was born at home. He nursed till he was four. I felt like a super mom. And, you know, I was just as all of us are that venture on this breastfeeding journey, really, no matter how long or, you know, no matter what. It's really admirable if you think about it, right, to keep giving your body 
in this way, not just for a pregnancy, but in this other way and navigate that. I remember going to a La Leche League meeting for the first time when Egan was, he had to be about two because we lived in Indianapolis or near, near there and Tallulah um, was born there. So I can't remember if I was pregnant with her, but I was definitely still nursing him when I did get pregnant with her. And I remember sitting at this meeting and, you know, you go around and you say something And I remember the problem that I wanted to bring to the group that I was really excited to just like see what other moms thought. And this might sound funny, um, is that Egan would do this really annoying thing of twiddling my other nipple when he was nursing. Kind of sounds, yeah, sort of silly now, but a lot of kids do that as they become toddlers Um, they start nursing upside down and doing gymnastics and, and breastfeeding in general takes on this whole other flavor with a toddler or even a younger kid than it does with a newborn or a baby. So this was the first time for me. It was the first time exploring some of these issues. And I remember a lot of the moms being very supportive and very clear in their opinions, uh, which for the most part were set some boundaries, mama. And I really appreciated that. And I remember, you know, taking that advice and using it. And teaching him that, you know, he needed to respect my body while he was nursing and it needed to be working for both of us. And, you know, that habit in particular was super annoying and I didn't enjoy it. So, you know, boundary setting with breastfeeding, I think, is um, necessary as you get into the toddler years. And yeah, I guess I could expand on that, but I'm sure I'll get to it. So breastfeeding in pregnancy was something I did for the first time when he was little and I was pregnant with Tallulah and he kept going, you know, he nursed right through the pregnancy out the other side, as I like to say, and um, we tandem nursed. In fact, I have a really beautiful painting that someone did of the two of them tandem nursing, although it's backwards. So like it shows the bigger kid as being Tallulah and, and Egan as being the smaller kid, whatever but it's meaningful to me. And if someone had told me, and I say this a lot, right? If someone had told me back when I was a teenager or a young adult, you'll be nursing two babies at once. I would have thought that sounded crazy, but it felt very natural. And I remember having a discussion with my preceptor. I was a midwifery student at that point because she had had several children. And actually my other preceptor had had, I think seven. So they were my support. They were my knowledge base for this tandem nursing thing. And for example, their advice was, you know, always let the baby nurse as much as she wants. And then when she's done, then if the toddler wants to be invited in, then go for it. Um, Another technique, and I've utilized kind of all of these things over the years, is kind of have one breast for each kid. uh, Because amazingly, the breasts know who's nursing and how and what to produce for them. So I think I've done all of those things over the years. Um, I didn't feel like it was particularly challenging in, in a physical sense to nurse both of them. Um, I did nurse them both at the same time, you know, often, but it was fine. I felt like the toddler Egan was, was old enough, even though he did nurse till he was four, he wasn't constantly nursing. And the baby, Tallulah, was just a chubby little thing. She was one of my chubbiest, other than Rumi. And she gained weight like crazy. So it didn't feel 
really weird or crazy. It felt completely, totally natural. And then a similar thing with Tallulah. She also nursed for, I think, three years. And she nursed through my next pregnancy with Rune and out the other side. So I had a couple in a row that were really, really into nursing. And so I got really uh, good at being pregnant and nursing. Which, by the way, sometimes people ask, like, is that dangerous? Or, you know, is that possible? And I'd say, yes, it's possible. And no, it's not dangerous unless you have a history of preterm labor or something like that. But even that, I'm not quite sure that it would ultimately matter. The one thing to remember is just to take extra good care of yourself, eat extra calories, and be mindful that, um, yeah, if you're producing milk while pregnant, then that's an output. As far as supply, I think that's also kind of interesting because just people are different. And I've seen many moms nurse through pregnancies in my own practice as well. And for me, the milk always dries up at about week 13 of pregnancy. So right, right at that second trimester about out of milk, but some kids don't care. And a couple of mine just didn't. Uh, They essentially dry nursed, which sort of sounds terrible. It never really bothered me, even with nipple sensitivity, which is a thing. I just kind of, you know, soldiered through and it was fine. This last pregnancy with Rumi Cove was still nursing up until almost the end. It was so heartbreaking that she didn't want to make it through out the other side. She just didn't. And my milk, when I was pregnant with him, did not dry up. And I'm not really sure why, other than hormones, other than maybe I was doing an extra great job of eating. Maybe it was because Cove initially nursed so much. I had milk until probably week 25, which was amazing. It's not the same, at least for me, it's not like a full on letdown like you get, but there was definitely milk there that I could see and that she was swallowing. So that was kind of cool. And in all of my babies, I had never had that experience. I would have said, oh, it dries up for sure. uh, Second trimester, but prove me wrong. And I really don't know why. So all kinds of experience nursing through pregnancy. And I think that's all there is to say about that. On my end, some women find it super challenging. Some women are just exhausted by it. They have this aversion to nursing and or their nipples are painful. They just can't do it. And whatever, you know, I say, do what works for you. Do what works for your child. I feel for the most part, like breastfeeding has been pretty easy for me. Uh, when I hear other people's stories, you know, and, and when I'm working with women, I know it's not always this easy So even in thinking about this podcast, I think I haven't ever done one on breastfeeding, mostly because other than my personal stories, I don't have a lot to say about it. It hasn't been, it hasn't been awful. It hasn't been ridiculously challenging, you know? And so I honor that when that is someone's experience, but it just hasn't been, um, partly because I probably should share if you haven't seen any birth photos or birth videos of mine, which I'm sure you have. Um, I have huge nipples. It's kind of a funny thing. And, you know, I could, I could feel self-conscious about it. Um, in, in some ways, you know, certainly people have made weird comments, people I don't know on my birth photos and such, but Hey, you know, I'm putting them out there to share with the world. Um, and I don't, I don't essentially care because honestly having great nipples, 
I think is one reason that breastfeeding has been so easy. Um, I don't have huge breasts by any, by any uh, description, but that doesn't matter either. So I think genetics was kind to me as far as breastfeeding and that's part of it. And, you know, this might sound weird and this is kind of another like random topic. I've totally nursed other people's babies. Um, Other people have nursed my babies. I think that's awesome. If it's someone you know, you're close to, I think it's great. And I've done it specifically with other clients and their babies when maybe um, the mom has super flat nipples and, you know, her baby's one day old and the baby can't latch. And we're trying to figure that out if they're open to it. And I'm you know, I'm producing milk, which I really have been for like almost 20 years <laughs> um, with a few gaps in there, then nursing someone else's baby can be the solution. It's great for that mom if she's open to it because her baby will get milk. Honestly, as a midwife, it's taught me a lot because I get to nurse these beautiful babies that aren't mine and see how it feels different or see how latches change. But my nipples sort of across the board seem to be able to nurse almost any baby, which is a really funny claim to fame, but true. So breast size, nipples, um, we're all so different. And there are just so many different combinations that make it maybe really easy or, or maybe really, really challenging. And I've seen that too. And I guess I could go into the tongue tie thing. I just, I just sort of hate this whole topic. And I think there's also the potential for, I don't know, rambling probably. But if you don't know, I'm sure you do, just this idea of babies being tongue-tied and every baby under the sun should be getting a revision or, you know, a laser treatment, a laser procedure to cut the frenulum. So the frenulum is like the little tiny string, right, that connects the underside of your tongue to the bottom of your mouth. And then you also have um, a frenulum between your two front teeth, or you you may have. But for tiny newborns, where their two front teeth might be, there is a membrane, uh, a frenulum there. And all of my kids, super, 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 super thick and tight on that front membrane. So we call that a lip tie. So nowadays, it's become this ultimate pathology. There are specialists all over the place. There are people that only make money doing this, identifying and then laser treatmenting these things. Um, And I just don't agree, honestly. And I recognize that my opinion on that is very strongly tied, haha, no pun intended, um, tied to the fact that it just hasn't been a problem for me. So that doesn't mean it's not a problem for someone else or they don't seek that solution and maybe it really helps. But for me, I just have never needed to or been drawn to doing that procedure on one of my babies, Um, even though, yes, they have these these physical characteristics going on in their mouth, um, but they haven't caused any problems other than uh, mastitis, which probably is related. But I've just moved through that and not felt like I needed to inflict any pain or trauma on my baby for that because you know, it's not um, a chronic issue. I've had mastitis three times in my whole life, one with Egan and two with Rumi. That's enough because it's terrible. So that's one thing. And other things, you know, you can read the list of ways to know if your baby has a tongue tie or symptoms. And honestly, the list is just insane. And I think a lot of things are not definitive. 
and they overlap and they could be a million other things. And again, is there actually a problem? So if a baby's like not gaining weight at all or losing weight and we know they have a lip or tongue tie, then sure, I mean, go check it out and then you make the best choice for your kid. I guess what I've seen, and this is more practice related and not so many in my practice really, um, but you know, people think it's going to be this magic bullet. It's going to solve all their breastfeeding problems. And I'll tell you, it doesn't. It, I've never seen it do that. So still, it's your baby. You can choose what you want and you might have reasons and experience. And I certainly can think of at least one client that's very dear to me um, that, you know, I think did this with both of her children and, and it felt great and appropriate to her and her family and no harm done. So, you know, as always, follow your own truth. But for me, uh, I never really considered it very seriously, even though I know that these things exist because it wasn't a problem. And I feel very grateful for that because to me, that would not be fun, especially a couple days post-birth, having to get in the car, drive several hours in our case, and then on the other side, do all of these exercises and try not to let the thing go grow back. Uh, it's all insanity. So it doesn't mean there isn't benefit to a select baby, but I think that's pretty rare. I don't think it's in the droves that it's happening with right now, you know, nearly every baby. And I'll admit this, nearly every baby I see as a midwife has some kind of what I what I am identifying as a tongue tie based on what I know. And I don't really know if the classifications have changed drastically over the last 20 years. I don't know what prompted this. Or, you know, it's environmental and our babies are being grown in a way where this is the new normal. So, that's usually where I land is, you know, when there are evolutionary changes, which perhaps this is one, um, maybe we should respect that more rather than permanently altering a person's body. And then, you know, 20, 30 years, 40, 50 years from now, we're like, oh, shoot, what do we do? You know, we messed up this thing in our evolution. I don't know. That's my total ramble on tongue ties. You don't have to agree. You may have had a great experience, but if you're a new mom or you're pregnant, I think it's just something to have on your radar that uh, a lot of people will tell you that that's the magic bullet or that's the fix all. And sure, be aware of it. I mean, knowledge is power. So if your kid has some kind of restriction like that, then you can know about it. But do your research, talk to a bunch of people. Don't just take that one person's recommendation, especially uh, these people that are trained to only do that. And I know that sounds crazy, but there are people only trained to do that. So um, what's that expression? You know, I can't think of it. I'm terrible with expressions. I don't know. It, it's like if you think everything, uh, I don't know, if you have a ha hammer, everything's a nail, like that kind of thing. So that's my um, total rant on the tongue tie epidemic that is going on. And not really the tongue tie epidemic, the epidemic of permanently altering the mouths of millions of babies, at least here in the US. I don't know if it's a thing in other countries, to be honest. I really don't know. I mean, certainly in third world countries, this is not a priority, I don't think. And I don't know, it's a very strange thing. So back when I was a student, 15 years ago ish, this was not a thing. And I can remember one baby in, you know, 100 or something that the midwife determined that the baby really did 
have a restriction that was preventing him or her from gaining weight. That's what I recall. And this is an old midwife thing, you know, back in the day. Midwives, if they felt that way, and and surely if the parents agreed, they would just snip it. They would just snip the frenulum with a scissor. So I don't have the guts to do that. Um, I don't think I would ever do that. But that is sort of the the old way that used to be dealt with. And, and I'm imagining that those were really comparatively, if we could compare them, super severe cases and maybe was really necessary to the baby surviving. So crazy things happen all the time. Um, but certainly back in that day and, and not like the 20 years ago, but a long time ago, and nursing other people's babies or people having wet nurses, like this was also part of the culture. So God forbid, if you couldn't nurse your baby for whatever reason, at least for a short time, then you probably had sisters or friends or, you know, aunts or someone that would nurse your baby so the baby could survive. This idea of really just being so isolated in our breastfeeding experience, I don't think is probably normal. And certainly in other cultures, um, you know, to this day, right, in other countries and other places, there is this idea of passing your baby around. And I love it. I think it's great for immune support. I think it's just overall cool that I have women in my life that will do that. Uh, In fact, my my good friend Ashley, who's also my student, nursed Rumi at one of the last births. So shout out to you, Ashley, for being awesome and taking a birth video while you were nursing my son just to keep him quiet. Um, That's really, really to me, like a friend, (laughs) a beautiful friend. And I would love to see our culture shift to where that's not weird or gross or any of the things that people think it is perhaps. And yeah, support each other in that way too, because sometimes that's the ticket. Um, I don't think Margo will mind me sharing you know, I nursed Celosia when she was first born for a little while because Margot was just having an incredibly hard time and her nipples were totally beat up and she was, she was miserable. So I think that's also just a cool special bond. I don't know how Celosia necessarily would feel about that as she's, you know, older now, but I think it's really cool. And I've appreciated women helping me with that. And I've been happy to help other women. Okay, so I've covered a lot of the things, tandem nursing, nursing and pregnancy, the tongue tie, haha. Um, I was going to blab for just a couple minutes about mastitis because sometimes people ask and then I'll have a resource to send them if they want to uh, find the place in the podcast where I talk about mastitis and what protocol I've used because I think it is useful, especially if you find yourself there for the first time. And it is seriously one of the sickest I have ever been. So I don't wish mastitis or breast infection. It's a breast infection. I I don't wish that on anyone at all. It's absolutely heinous. And so imagine the most typical time to get mastitis, although people do get it later, like months later down the line, or sometimes even years, the most typical time really is in like the first 10 days after birth, when everything is getting adapted and milk is being produced and all the things. So imagine just being super sick at that point in your postpartum and, you know, maybe you're already having some issues nursing or you're not sleeping or whatever. It's just the cherry on top. It is seriously so bad. So I will share my protocol in case it helps anyone. 
And let's see, where did I get this? Well, the first time I had mastitis was with Egan. I don't remember what my midwife even had me do. Oh, I do actually. She had me do B propolis tincture. And I'm not necessarily recommending these things. I'm just saying this is what I've done. But she had me do B propolis tincture, which was new to me. And I actually still really like and golden seal tincture. Warning, don't do the golden seal. That was a terrible idea. Uh, at least for me, my body did not react well to that. And my baby did not either. And my, my feeling or understanding is that maybe all kinds of bacteria got killed, good and bad with that. And Egan got this terrible, like crusty rash all over him. And so I forgot that that was 15 years ago. And then fast forward to when I had a couple of bouts of mastitis with Rumi, I took golden seal again. And I, I didn't even mean to necessarily. It was in a bottle with echinacea, which I do recommend. So I would recommend echinacea and B propolis. Those are separate things. But in this bottle of echinacea that I had, it was mixed with golden seal. And I just didn't even read it because it was so sick. And so I took it again. And same thing. Rumi wound up with this disgusting, crusty, like rash all over his face. So I don't know. I don't know if that's weird. I don't know if that is necessarily 100% associated with golden seal, but I'm pretty sure it is. So I would not recommend that. And I don't know if that's everybody's experience or what, but it did clear it up that first time. And so I was through that. So this last time and in the years since when I've helped other women through it, I have developed a more solid protocol. And basically it's at the first twinge of pain in your breast. And unfortunately, well, on one hand, I don't wish you ever get mastitis, but on the other hand, if you haven't had it, you won't know. You will not know until it's too late. And so that is how it goes. Once you've had mastitis, the only blessing is that you know what it feels like. And the minute you feel that twinge, oh my gosh, you got to run for the stuff. So, um, it's like the shooting pain in your breast and you'll be able to kind of isolate it to one spot. But with Rumi, it had been so long since I had one that I wasn't that wise and I wasn't that tuned in and I was busy being with him in a million other ways. And I woke up one morning or rather in the middle of the night and I had that pain and I was like, oh God. But again, it had been a long time. So I just left it. I just continued to kind of sleep throughout the night and nurse him. By the time I woke up in the morning, it was raging. I had a terrible fever and I was you just feel like absolute shit and you have to nurse on top of it. You have to keep nursing and taking care of your baby. It is just so hard. So um, it is also so painful. Like you can barely touch your breast and you have to nurse on it. You have to nurse a ton on it. Um, and along those lines, I think this is more of an old wives tale, but maybe not. You try and get the baby's chin pointed towards the area of redness. So you'll identify on your breast in the mirror, looks like someone slapped you, red streak, and that is where the clog is. So this starts as a clog, which is innocent enough, but then usually E. coli or some disgusting bacteria gets in there and you have an infection. So you identify where that is and you nurse, 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 nurse. You try all positions. Um, you work with the baby's latch if it's not the greatest. You get in the shower and you put hot water on it. You put hot compresses on it. Um, I had a friend that brought me beautiful stones. Thank you, Christina, to heat up 
and also apply and that felt wonderful heat feels amazing it's like it kind of hurts but it feels so good so you just have to keep trying to get milk out of there and release the clog and also the bacteria so that's kind of the one one part of approach um, this is like a multi-approach thing so first nurse try to clear the clog in all the ways shower margo had suggested using an electric toothbrush on the clog i never got one but that sounds like a great idea so you've got that and then you also have immune support because you need to kill the bacteria. So again, echinacea, bee propolis in tinctures uh, every couple of hours, tons of vitamin C, sunflower lecithin to clear the clog, um, poke root tincture, which there are all kinds of scary warnings about. Um, so definitely, you know, respect the plants. In other words, don't take too much. If you can get a hold of a poke root tincture, then literally you're taking like two drops, just two, not, not dropper fulls, two drops, barely even something you can see in a cup. So two drops, and you could do that like twice a day. And that is an amazing killer of the bacteria. So between all the immune support, tons of fluid, probably not going to be able to eat too much because having a fever really sucks. Um, I did say on one of the other podcasts, one of the only times in my life I've taken Tylenol, I just had to. It was so painful and the fever gets really high and until it breaks, you're really just sort of delusional. So I'm all painting this to be really fun, but I think it's important to have a plan. Um, also, essential oils are amazing. So I do really, really potent, strong essential oils on the bottoms of my feet. And you do have to be really cautious that you don't get them anywhere on your hands or anywhere near you or your baby because they will burn and they're very strong. So you contain it to the bottoms of the feet, just straight on there and put on socks so they can't really like leak out. And by strong, I mean oregano, thyme, um, thieves, like whatever you've got, that is a serious bacteria killer. And then on the breast in between nursings, again, you can do compresses, um, you can do lavender oil, just kind of some other gentle oils. I, I shy away from that, to be honest because with a newborn, you pretty much are nursing all the time. So that's not really an option. Um, but those are all the ideas I have off the top of my head. And that's what I would recommend to anyone. And I've never needed antibiotics. And I've never, I don't think, supported anyone that also had mastitis that needed antibiotics if they stick on this protocol. And here's the other thing. And I think this is like a serious tip here. This is a pro tip. If you get mastitis and you do this whole natural protocol, you cannot let up until you feel way better. So the number one mistake, and I've made it too, is you do this for a day, your fever goes away, your breast is less sore, and you quit. And then guess what? You didn't really get rid of it, and three days later, it's back, and that is worse. <laughs> so if you do this sort of protocol, this natural like herbal slash essential oil slash whatever, stay on it stay on it for several days. I mean, in, in my case, I probably overdid it. I probably stayed on it for five to seven days just because I could not fathom going through this again. And it's pretty benign. I mean, you know, sure, plants are medicine. Um, echinacea, for example, you don't want to take for a long periods of time, but seven days is not a long period of time. So vitamin C as well. Not going to hurt anyone with lots of vitamin C. Uh, garlic is another idea, but some babies are really sensitive to that in the milk. So I found for me that didn't really work this time. 
And yeah, you just pray. You just pray and cry and try to get better and do less. Um, Definitely when you overdo it, you'll be more prone to mastitis. But some of us are just prone. I mean, to be honest, I hadn't even left my bedroom. So I think there's just whatever, some some reasons. And, you know, even the spiritual reasons, uh, needing a fever, burning things away. And who knows what it does for the baby? You know, who knows? I have no idea. But it felt like we were in it together, even though Rumi could only help the way he could help. I really needed him to help. I needed him to nurse. I needed him to help me clear this. Uh, If you do have a toddler nursing, though, that would be your secret there. You would probably not even get clogged ducts with a toddler nursing, although I guess I did the first time. So that is mastitis in a nutshell. I hope that is helpful to someone. Certainly, if you have questions, please email me. I know this is not meant to be, you know, medical advice, not meant to be medical advice, simply sharing my experience. But um, if you need more information or want to talk further or have other resources, like other cool things that you know totally work, then send them my way. You can always get me at marin at indiebirth.org. Um, other than that, I don't know what else I have to say. I'm really enjoying nursing Rumi. I know that sounds funny because I've been nursing for so long, but I'm really enjoying it. He's probably my last and he really, really loves to nurse and be attached to me. Obviously, breastfeeding is so wonderful. It's not just about food. It's about attachment and bonding. It's about brain development, jaw development. Um, There are so many reasons that a baby needs to nurse. And I feel really blessed that I've had these really easy, for the most part, and beautiful experiences that have allowed me to just be so close to my baby. I think it's really rare for women to not be able to nurse, but because I have seen it with my own eyes, my heart just goes out to them. Um, You know, I've been nursing for so long and, and so many babies that I'm the kind of person, like, if I hear a baby crying in a store you know, and it's in a car seat all alone, which no judgment, I totally have brought my kid in in a car seat. But you know, there are moms out there that aren't nursing, there aren't being supported in it, they're formula feeding from the get go. And, um, you know, I want to comfort the baby is what I'm saying. I want to like grab random babies and <laughs> stick them on my breast, which in any other context would sound really odd, but probably not here. Just because like that physical, that physical giving Um, it feels so valuable. And of course, when it's your own baby, it's like a billion times better. You're releasing oxytocin and it's just that connection. I have such great memories of nursing really with all of my kids, like sleeping with them and just rolling over and nursing them and feeling them close and having them grab my hand. Rumi's really big on that right now. He likes to grab both my hands and just their little touch and their way of like you know, uniquely getting milk and how that looks for them. And I don't know, it's all just so special and beautiful. I really do wish every woman that wanted to could have that experience and, and have it last as long as they want and, you know, and go through kind of the ups and downs, because I think there's so many parenting lessons, honestly, so many like mothering truths in nursing a kid, because the partner most likely can't do it. Uh, if you got a dad partner, they're not going to be able to help. And I mean, they can help, obviously they can help in other ways and they can bring you water and they can make sure you're fed and all the things, but the actual nursing, 
Like we have to figure that out if we want to do it. Um, we get to know our baby in that unique way. And every time I've birthed, I've wondered like, who will this be? You know, what will it be like to nurse this baby? Because even though I've nursed others, I've not nursed this one. <sighs> so yeah, total oxytocin dump there. Just thinking of Rumi. Um, and yeah, he's just doing so great. He's almost, or he is 15 pounds. He's three months. He's huge. Um, and that's something I guess I could share a minute about. You know, I definitely have had some of my babies where I felt like my supply wasn't that great. And since I shared about my mom, I wonder if it was really just that, like somewhere in my, you know, unconscious brain, I had this idea that I wouldn't have enough and sort of manifested that or, or it really felt like that. I think babies just are different. And I can recall with a few of mine, you know, just like a lot of sucking and just this feeling of like, is there anything there? Like, you just did this, you know, and if the baby fusses or pulls off the breast, um, you know, I thought, and a lot of people I think have this idea of like, oh, like maybe they're not getting anything or they're not getting enough. When of course there could be a million things going on. In other words, I've had this experience of feeling like, I don't know if I have enough milk. And with a couple of my kids, I totally did drink a ton of nursing tea, like all the fennel, all the fenugreek, took supplements, took tinctures, um, because I, I don't know, I somehow had this feeling, whether real or imagined, that I wasn't producing enough. So I don't know what that really means, um, except I kept going. Um, I think in a, in a lot of my situations, it was not taking good care of myself and losing a lot of weight too fast. And I wasn't trying per se, but uh, yeah, just changing diet rapidly and having weight come off really quickly really does affect your milk supply, I think. It totally has for me. Cutting out carbs completely totally can affect your milk supply. So definitely, even though I have all this experience, I had a couple babies where I felt like, what is happening? Like, where did the milk go? So looking back, I wish I had known what I knew now. And with Rumi, it's been amazing. I feel like we have so much milk all of the time. I'm not trying to lose weight more than just moving naturally and getting back to walking and working out as it feels good. I'm not really trying, even though I am losing weight and he is gaining weight. <laughs> I think that's the way it's gone for me. But I'm being cautious. I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. He's only three months and six months is about when our family has started to dabble in food with babies. That's not appropriate for all babies, but mine have always been quick to eat real food. Uh, but, you know, he's not there. He's got at least three more months, so I don't want to mess it up for us because it's really been amazing. I feel like there's not been really any issue other than the mastitis, and that was awful, but short-lived. That was, you know, done and over with, knock on wood, in the first two weeks. Um, and it taught me some good lessons again, things I needed to be reminded of. But yeah, I'm enjoying just having him on me. He does nurse quite a bit. And I don't know that that's something I have time to go into today. But babies are different. You know, some babies can go several hours, some don't. And I've always nursed on demand. I've never been someone to set a timer. I don't actually understand that. Because as a human myself, if I want to eat, I want to be able to eat. I don't want someone telling me what time I can eat at. And again, babies nurse for a million different reasons. So who are we to say that they don't need it? And funny, you know, my mom not having nursed really 
she doesn't say much anymore, thank God. But with my first couple of babies, she always had an opinion about it. And I think, honestly, that's probably a trauma thing, if you ask me. Or I don't know what it is, just like a somewhere in her, maybe she wishes she had had the experience. But she would criticize me, you know, oh, my God, that baby just nursed. Why are you doing that again? Or do they do anything but eat? Those kind of comments. And she doesn't anymore. And gosh, I would never say that to anyone. But the truth is, yeah, it does look like that. So if you haven't breastfed before, I think that's some major um, wisdom, not not from me per se, but like motherly wisdom. If you are nursing a newborn on demand and you're not supplemental feeding at all, which of course, you know, isn't really recommended unless there's something else going on, then they will nurse all the time, probably. And if they don't, yeah, count yourself lucky and and get some extra rest in there. But my experience has been often all through the day. Um, Rumi does nurse a couple times at night, at least two, maybe three, four or five. And then not going into it today, but as teeth come in, the nursing patterns change. And patterns are always changing anyway with babies. So I think it's just this idea of being flexible and being open. And even though I love nursing, you certainly have to make time for yourself. And I don't mean, you know, you you get to go on vacation as a nursing mom. You don't, nor would I want to unless I brought him. But, you know, you do have to structure your life and stagger your own activities around a baby that is probably going to be hungry. So I don't leave him for more than an hour or two ever. And I'm usually somewhere like at my office where Jason could bring him if need be, because just me, I can't stand it if I know he's upset. I can't stand it if uh, I think he needs me. And, you know, that's also a huge conversation because I think sometimes we can totally go into the heroin mode being breastfeeding moms because no one else can breastfeed them. So we make our whole lives about that. And early on, I think that's 100% what we need to do. And that's just following the way our bodies work. But yeah, as a kid gets older, one years old, two years old, they're still nursing. Um, certainly, yeah, I do. I do have more than an hour away. And they're fine because they're eating food and they have other ways of comforting themselves and, you know, other ways of getting the sleep, which I think I'll save that for the sleep mothering podcast because people have asked about that. But I certainly, um, you know, have tried to, to encourage um, toddlers and such and even babies like even Rumi that he can get to sleep without a nipple. So that's kind of our routine here in this house. That's what we've learned over the years. And that allows Jason to care for him in a way that's really helpful and probably promotes their bonding. So um, by that, I mean, I don't nurse him to sleep for naps. I, I don't want to be held down in that way, to be honest, unless that was the only way. But I found that babies are really adaptable and and they're not doing that from any place of needing to please us. It's just they're adaptable. So if he's nursed and fed and his belly's all full, uh, we can lay him down just by himself in a bed or in a little pack and play and he'll go to sleep. And he learned that from when he was very tiny. And all of my kids have learned that. So if you think it's impossible, I don't think it is because uh, they all have done it. So nursing is and can be a totally important part of our mothering, our relationship But certainly, I think drawing boundaries, which I learned long ago, is also really helpful. And just going with the flow. Um, Certainly, issues do come up. You know, mastitis is just one. This podcast really wasn't about all the things that can come up. 
It was only about my experience, but certainly other things can, can come up. Many women choose or need to return to work, and so pumping. I guess I could say one more little mini topic, which is pumping sucks, I think. And I get why people do it. And I'm just really feeling grateful that I don't need to do it right now. In the past, I've tried it. I think in our minds or in my mind, I've thought, well, to have extra milk in the fridge would be great. You know, it kind of takes the pressure off. Never made sense for my kids because they've never taken a bottle. Not one, not one kid ever. So I don't even go there. We don't ever do bottles. In fact, when they start to drink other things like water, we just go to cups. We don't do the whole bottle thing. Um, So pumping didn't really make sense. And I tried it a couple times through my whole breastfeeding career Every time it sucked and was disappointing and just felt stressful. And stressful is like the worst thing you can be feeling. Um, Stress is the worst thing you can be feeling when you're trying to produce milk. It's like the wrong combination. So I've had different pumps. I know people say, oh, this one's great. Oh, this one. I've had all of them. I've had the expensive ones. I've had the nice ones. And I think they all suck (laughs) for me. I hate pumping. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I'll be honest, the reason I hate it is because I did try very earnestly to pump when Egan was small. So remember him nursing every 15 minutes. It was impossible. And I was trying to pump because I was a new midwifery apprentice and I really didn't know how this was going to go. Like I didn't know, I just didn't know what I have to leave him. Of course, now I would look back and say, Marin, you know, draw your own boundaries there. But I was learning. And so I wanted to have milk for him. But pumping was just maddening. He was always nursing. I never felt like I got anything to save. If I did, it was so minimal. Then he wouldn't take it in a bottle anyway. (sighs) So I'm not a fan of pumping. But if you do it, if you need to do it, I wish you all the luck. And I know there are lots of tips and tricks out there that other people would be better at providing, not me. And I wish you all the luck because I think giving your baby breast milk is amazing, even if you're doing it that way because you need to work or whatever the case may be. Certainly, that's beautiful. And I'm imagining that pumping goes really well for some women. Just total honesty. It has not for me. All right. Well, that's a strange way to end a podcast, but I think I'm out of time And I've really been talking very fast about a lot of things. So I hope that you enjoyed this and I wish you the best on your nursing journey, no matter how long or short it may be. If you're pregnant and exploring these kind of things, I think that's so awesome. I think just being exposed to some of these ideas is helpful in the cultural sense because a lot of women don't breastfeed. And we've sort of lost that as the norm. So we got to stick together. Things like breastfeeding and pregnancy, for example, or tandem nursing aren't really things talked about in the mainstream. So you should join us on our social network if you're not there, though, because that's the place where you'll find more like-minded people and these kind of conversations. And it's free to join. So really, why not? Social.indiebirth.org. You'll join and download the Mighty Networks app to your phone. And don't forget to be on our newsletter list, please. Uh, It's IndieBirth.org. Margo's been sending out a really fun email every week, kind of compiling fun things we like. So for that reason alone, you might enjoy our newsletter, but mostly because it's the one solid place that uh, you know we are, whereas some of the other things might change over the years as these podcasts kind of go into archive mode. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a beautiful day. 